Man, hey, good morning, good morning. You made it here. Did you watch the World Cup? Don't tell me. Actually, tell me. I don't even care. I don't even watch it. It's fine. Hey, today, let's talk about our legalism. How many legalists in the room? You love following rules. If you were born 2,000 years ago, you would have been a Pharisee, right? How many of you are cooks? You like to cook. You throw stuff together in the kitchen. Let me see. All right, we got a few of you. Now, there's a distinction, right? There's this, this other category of people who are great in the kitchen, and they are called bakers. Any bakers in the room? All right. Baking and cooking is different, right? Like, I cook, right? I can survive. I'm not, like, fantastic, but we, we eat okay. But my wife is a baker, and if I applied my general knowledge of cooking to what she does with baking, right? Like, I just kind of take stuff and throw it into the pan and heat it up and we serve it, right? But you can't just say, like, all right, here's a bunch of flour, here's a bunch of baking. You just can't do that, right? You have to be a little bit legalistic if you are going to be a baker. Now, we did something in our home with our kids a long time ago where we brainwashed them. It's one of the best parts about parenting. You can tell your kids whatever you want and they have to believe. They just do, right? So we told them that McDonald's, Carl's, Burger King, all of that stuff, it was of the devil. And if you eat it, you will surely die, right? Now, we, I, I haven't always been healthy, but we're trying to raise healthy kids that love the Lord and all that stuff. So our kids, we would go like drive on the five freeway and there'd be like Wendy's over here. You know, the one at Red Hill. And there'd be this lineup of cars in the drive-thru. And our kids would say, daddy, what are all of those people doing at Wendy's? Don't they know what that food will do to them? And we're like, yes, this is good. We're winning as parents, right? But every once in a while, like we like a good like sausage egg McMuffin at McDonald's, right? But we've kind of kept that for a road trip or like when we're at the airport, we'll get one of those. Well, decided it's time, right? My, my kid is 10 years old. It's time that he tastes the bitter fruit of McDonald's. And so about this time every year, we make a trip up to the Mecca known as AT&T Park. We're huge San Francisco Giants fans. And so my dad and the boys and I, we, we run up, we drive up to San Francisco and I decided this is the time we're going to do it. And so before we go on the trip, first stop is we're going to stop at McDonald's and we get into the parking lot. I'm all, guys, mom is still in bed. We're out of here. Let's go. We're going to try some McDonald's today. And they're all, dad, we can't have McDonald's. And I'm like, dang, brainwashing. It's got us. And so it starts to backfire. I'm like, it's fine. You're going to be great. It's okay. You can do this every once in a while. It's fine. Come on. And so my dad and I, we get out of the car and we're walking and I'm opening the door to McDonald's. And where are the kids? Still in the backseat of the car. It was tears. It was lots of talking. It was undoing some of the things that we had told them before. Finally, we got them out. We broke them of their legalism. And I remember my oldest saying, that was so good, Dad. <laughs> Think about this. Um, what I want us to hear today, um, the, the genre of legalism we're going to talk about today is specifically washing your hands. How many of you are hand washers? You love, you just wash all the time, right? You could go work in our nursery. We have them all over the place. Those little things that automatically come out, right? Like when I go to a hospital, I'm like constantly like every time there's one of those things. We, but I, I want you to hear today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. And there's this debate. There's this accusation that's coming from the Pharisees towards Jesus. And the argument is circling around washing your hands. And Jesus wants to liberate the people of their pharisaical tendencies to wash their hands. Jesus is the hero of every living Jewish boy in Israel at that time. 
What? We don't have to wash our hands anymore? So check this out. Here we go. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. In fact, even as we were signing in yesterday for uh, Hume Lake, we have a health screening form. Like, have you, like, uh, do you have a fever? Is everything okay? But one of the things we have to, we have to check off is, do you promise to wash your hands for 20 seconds before each meal and every time you go to the bathroom? And I looked at my son. He's 12 years old. He's on the way up there right now. Can you do that? He's all... Okay, he's not going to shower, but he'll wash his hands. So here we go. Mark 7, verse 1, you with me? Yes? All right, here we go. It says this, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, him being Jesus. When they had come from Jerusalem, they take a three-day walk from Jerusalem up to where Jesus and the disciples are in Galilee, okay? They have a mission. This is a big walk for a big reason. So they're up there. Verse 2, and they had seen some of his disciples were eating bread, eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. So Jesus is there. His disciples are not washing their hands, but they're eating. And they're saying, you guys are not washing your hands. We have a lot of trouble. And Jesus says, We need to talk about this. We need to get to the heart of the matter. And what I want to do today is I want to show us and examine how Jesus is peeling back these layers. We have years and years, decades and centuries of tradition that is being stacked on top of the law. The Mosaic law, the law that was commanded throughout the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, totaling 613 laws. And if that weren't enough, they said, we need a little bit more. Now, this is super important, this washing of the hands. I want to show you, there's this book. This book right here, this is called the Mishnah. Look at this. They have... 30 different tractates or sections on just how you're supposed to wash your dishes and your pots. There's an entire volume alone just on washing your hands. To show you how serious and how important this is, this is one of those tractates from there. They say this. This is from Sabbath 62a. I'm sure you've read it recently. It says this. Three things bring a man to poverty. Urinating in front of one's bed naked. Some of you are so far so good. We're okay. And it says... Treating the washing of the hands with disrespect and being cursed by one's wife in his presence. Two out of three is not bad, right? I mean, we, as a people group, we're very serious about the washing of our hands. There was a way to do it. It had to be washed up to the elbows. When you do it, when you don't do it, on what days you do it. How does all of this possibly work? Now... I need to back this up and I'm going to peel back some of these layers because you might look at the Jewish people as a whole and there's some like weird stuff that goes on, right? Like if you live in Irvine, there's 25,000 Jewish people in Irvine and you will see them on a Saturday morning walking on the streets to synagogue. Well, why are they walking? We'll get there in a second. But it's tradition upon tradition. And so Jesus is saying, you're following the tradition of the elders and we need to understand what that means. So if we have the law, 
this established 613 commandments, there, there's this piece that is, is added onto it. Now, this is in your outlines, in your bulletins. You can check this out and follow along. But here's the essential piece, all right? After the Jewish people came out of Babylonian captivity, they were there for a while. They came out of it. And the reason they were in there in the first place was because they broke the law of God. They came out and they said, we've learned a lesson. We will never, ever, ever, never break the law of God again. We need to make sure this doesn't happen. So they take the law of God and they say, what are all of the possible ways that we could possibly do it? And let's make sure that we set some rules around it. So if this is the law, we're going to build a fence around it and make sure that we could break the fence, but we're not going to break the law. And so you have this tradition coming out of the Babylonian captivity, about 450 BC, this group, they're called the Sopharim. It's the scribes. It's from Ezra to Hillel, who's one of the rabbis, right? And so that's the time span for about 400 years. They start adding in. They're trying to interpret. They're trying to figure out, well, if this is what it says, here's the commentary on what the law is, and we're going to add another layer. And so they go through that. And, and what happens over time is they start paying so much attention to what is written here that they start to slowly forget about the law of God because we've built a fence around that. It's inside. We should be okay. Well, the next group comes around. They're the Tanaim. And this spans, this is actually kind of, this is taking place while Jesus is walking here on earth. And so they're establishing, they look at the fence that was built and they say, we see some holes in it. We need to build another fence around that. And you can have one Tana disagree with another Tana, but you cannot disagree with the Sophers because at this point, it's already like, so important. It's sacrosanct. It's perfect. Like, don't break this. Now, the law that was like way over here is like, we, we don't even care because that's just locked up in this little bubble. And then you have another few hundred years of the Amariah means teacher. And, and so everybody is interpreting and there's commentaries. And, and what Jewish people actually believe is that when Moses got the commandments on Mount Sinai, that there was a written law that was written down, but then there was this oral law. And this oral law is everything here. And it was passed down from Moses to Joshua, to the prophets, all the way down to the sophers. And we keep this tradition going and we want to make sure that we don't break the laws. And out of that, these writings right here from this era, you put those all together and that's the Mishnah. That's this book right here. It's huge. It's all in Hebrew, 1,500 pages, right? Like the margins are way out, single space, super small font, right? That's the Mishnah. Well, coming out of the Amorayim, this decade, this era is the, the Gemara. And then you take those two writings together and all of that is the Talmud. Have you all heard of the Talmud? Some of you, that's, that's the oral law. Now, the actual law of God is like so far back in history. Like, so today, Jewish people, we talk about the law, but really what they're talking about is we've built all of these traditions. Because look, the law has all of this stuff that was talked about, but it's, it's kind of like, what does that have to do with our life now? And so concerning the washing of hands, they would have these rules. Like if you're in a group of people, five people or less, and you have to wash your hands, well, the rule for this is that the most important person would wash their hand first, and then you'd go down the line. It kind of stinks to be number five. But if there are more than five people, let's say you have eight people, well, then you have the lesser people. They wash their hands first. Can you say, well, hey, why don't you wash your hand first? Right? And then when they get to the five, then we change the order around. If you are going to pray and you're on a journey, and as long as you are within four miles, 
I don't know where they come up with it. As long as you're within four miles, you have to go to the nearest watering hole. As long as it's within four miles, wash your hands and then pray. If there's no water and it's further than four miles, then you can get some sand and rub it up against the board and that will clean your hands. I mean, these are the rules. If you want to read the Talmud, there's a whole volume on just the washing of the hands. And so what do you do with this? This is a law. This is a law from the Old Testament. Exodus 23. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Now, out of all of the sins represented in this room, I can guarantee you that nobody has ever broke this law. Anyone want to step forward and talk about it? I don't think so. If you did, it's even weirder than just breaking the law because you're boiling goats at your house for some reason, right? But where does this come from? Why, how do you actually do this? When this law was given, it's given to Moses, and it's happening about 1400 B.C., well, now you get into this, like, era of the sophers, and they're talking about all of this. It's a thousand years later. This is what's going on. There was a Canaanite tradition. If you had a goat, and the goat gave birth to a bunch of other goats, they would take the firstborn goat, and they would boil it in the milk of its mother, and they would offer it to Baal. God says, you are my people. I don't want you to resemble what they're doing or anything like it. So I'm establishing this is a law. You're my people. You're going to do things differently. Well, a thousand years later, like there's no Canaanites left. Nobody's boiling goats, but they're going to make sure that they don't do this. So this is how something that was given to Moses, like 1400 BC, this is what it looks like when you add layer upon layer upon layer. Like what? 3,400 years later? Today, if you go to Israel... For breakfast, you will have the dairy meal. There's no meat. So like omelets with like cheese and bacon and all that, it doesn't exist for breakfast. It's the one thing you want, that and bacon cheeseburgers when you're there. So they go there, and, and you, you, when you go there, you'll have a dairy meal in the morning. Because here's the thought. We don't want to break this law. So if I have dairy, let's say I have cheese, and that cheese came from the milk of a goat— I don't want to actually have the milk or the cheese with a meat because I could be ingesting milk from a mother and that goat <laughs> could be the, the baby goat. And now I have all of that and I swallow it. It's in my stomach now. It's seething or it's boiling in my stomach. And now I have transgressed the law. And so they've decided, okay, we're not going to have these two elements in one meal. So what we need to do is we need to separate it. And so they've decided that digestion is about four hours. So we will have a dairy meal in the morning and we will have for lunch and dinner is a meat meal. But we have a problem. What if you have a dairy meal in the morning and you had cheese, nice little spread of cheese, and you wash it, but let's say you miss a little piece. You're a little bit sloppy in your dishwashing. There's a little piece of cheese on that plate. And now you take your goat sandwich and you throw it on the plate and it absorbs that little piece of cheese and you take the big bite and now it's all in your mouth. It goes down into your stomach and now it's boiling again. To make sure that we don't transcend the law of God, we have two sets of plates now. Really great juice, we'll have four sets because we have leavened bread and unleavened bread for Passover. Really, really great juice have like six sets of plates. Now we do because we just keep breaking them and we keep having to replace them, right? But this is how it all comes together. This is where we get these layers upon layers. It's kind of like, have you seen these Russian dolls? The little nesting dolls? Let's just say 
that this represents the law of God. God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to follow. They're so scared of breaking that that they say, we're going to build a fence around it. We're going to protect it. We don't want to break this law, so we're going to put this around here. And then there's another group. They come around and they say, we don't want to break this, so we're going to put another layer upon layer, so much so that we don't even know what the original law was or what it was for. And so Jesus is peeling back these layers. It's adventures in missing the point. On the outside, everything looks like it's really great, but Jesus has an accusation and an answer for them. Check this out. Verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? When you hear these words, the tradition of the elders, or it says the tradition of men, go through the Gospels and see it. They're talking to him and they say, why are they not following the traditions of men? But they eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, rightly, Jesus is saying this, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Jesus never ever broke God's law, the Mosaic law. But sometimes he went out of his way to break the traditions of men. And that's really what irked the Pharisees and the scribes that were chasing after him. Jesus says, you are taking what God has commanded you. You are putting it aside so that you can do what you want. He goes on to say, you are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, now he's going to quote the law. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. He who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition. Which you have handed down. And then he says, and you do many things like this. The law of God, that internal layer, honor your father and mother, Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments. So that means you speak well of them and you obey them. But it also means as they get older, one way to honor them is that you take care of them. You provide for their needs. And so as a father or mother who is aging, they come to their child who is a Pharisee and they say, we could use a little bit of help with the medical bills. They say, I wish I could, but I have this thing, Corbin. I, I took all of that stuff and I dedicated it to God. Loophole. Hey, son, daughter, we could use some help with, oh, sorry. If only I could, Corbin. And they would just set everything aside. And when you did that, when you dedicated it to God, you had the option whether you actually dedicated to God or you could actually, they had rules upon rules upon. I wish I could show you how much 
horrible, boring reading I did this week to look at this. But it's just all of these ways that they could get out of it. And Jesus says, you have many things like this. So, Jewish people, we walk on Saturdays, right? As life has gone on and technology has progressed, uh, there have to be laws because boiling goats doesn't really go well with, like, what do you do with your cell phone? Is driving your car work, right? So they will walk. But there's certain parts to this. Like, nobody really wants to drive, like, or, or walk five miles to get to their synagogue. So there's rules that have been established over time. So they say that on the Sabbath, you could walk six-tenths of a mile. But if you want to go further, make sure the day before you take some food, you could set it at the tree, at a tree outside of the gates of the city. And that can be your living abode. And then that becomes your new place. And you can walk in a six-tenths perimeter around that place. And so it's law upon law upon law. And Jesus is peeling this away. And he's saying, you're setting aside what I have said for your own traditions. In essence, they are not wrapping their lives around what God has said. They are trying to reverse it. We want it to be convenient for us. And so this is the picture. This is over and over and over again. Not only is Jesus peeling back the layers of tradition, but he's going after their hearts. And I want you to hear today that in many ways, you and I are just as legalistic. We forget and we neglect what God has given to us as rules for living. If he's the one who's made us and all the things around us, then he knows what the best life is. And so he's established that in his word. And he says, this is how I want you to live. And we're all, uh, what about this? Where are the loopholes? Where are some things that I can kind of Adjust. And so we get stuck with some of our own legalism, some of our own pharisaical tendencies. And I believe that he's trying to peel back these layers and he wants at our hearts. Look in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing... There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not about all of these rules and your righteous hypocrisy. The Pharisees on the outside, they looked really holy. If you are a very legalistic person, you can look the part. But he's calling out their hearts. He says, look, all of this acting, you hypocrites, you look like you're, you're putting on a mask on the outside. But on the inside, I know your heart. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out, what starts at your heart. That's what defiles you. It's not about the washing of the hands. It's about your heart. Have you ever had a discussion with a friend or a spouse and you start to get just kind of sucked into this place where you even forget what you're talking about, what the argument is even for? Have you ever had one of these moments? Check this out. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and 
I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop will... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just don't try to see things my way. Never happened to me. It's not about the washing of the hands, guys. It's about your hearts. Jesus rails on the Pharisees. He goes after them. In Luke, he, he says, woe to you. You weigh the people down with these heavy burdens, with burdens too much for them to bear. And then Jesus says, but my burden is light. Like, follow me. And so he says this. Look, I care about what's on the inside. Stop focusing on the washing of the hands. And so he goes on. And look in verse 17. When he had left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? What's your deal, guys? I can't make it any clearer. And so he says this. Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated. It literally means into the latrine. And then it says, thus he declared all foods clean. This is the moment. He says, look, the law over here told you, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. But he says, it's, it's not about that. Now the law, don't throw the law out. Don't throw it out altogether because the law was effective. And we talked about this in the past, but the law was there to highlight our sinfulness. The law was there to highlight our need for an awesome and holy God. So we can't just do away with all of it and say, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. There's grace and there's forgiveness, but we need the law to highlight our brokenness. And we need the law to highlight the desperate wickedness of our hearts, our propensity to continue to do evil. And so Jesus declares all food clean. I remember having this situation. It was the same thing that with my kids sitting in the car at McDonald's. And I remember as an eight-year-old, my dad and I, we drove to go pick up pizza at Little Caesars. But as a young Jewish boy, I'm sitting there in the car with my dad and saying, so dad, we're getting pizza, but it has pepperoni on it. What's going to happen if we eat it? <laughs> And he said, it's not about the pepperoni. It's not about the delicious pork. God cares about your heart. 
God cares about your heart. And so he's trying to free the Pharisees up. He's trying to free his disciples up. And this is a new teaching, right? They've grown up with all of these rules. You got to do this and this. It's a heavy burden. How can you possibly carry all of it? And so Jesus is freeing him up. It's not about what goes in. It's what's in your heart and how is that coming out. It says that which proceeds out of the man. That is what defiles the man. For from within... For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You're on that list somewhere. All of us can find ourselves there. From our hearts, these are the things that begin to show up. Jesus says, great, wash your hands, that's fine. But don't think that by you doing that, that that is what's making you holy. Your legalism, he says, I care about your heart. Give me your heart. All these evil things proceed from within. These things are the things that defile the man. So what is it for you? Where is your tendency to like get stuck in the rules and the weeds? And where is it that man God really just wants to rescue your heart. I want to look at our hearts for a second. This diagram's in your outline as well. So maybe one of the more helpful things that I've thought through in my own life is looking at something like this. If this is our heart, there's a part of your heart that's open. When I mean open, it's known by everybody and you know this about yourself. Okay? But then there's parts of you, you have a blind spot. This is the stuff that everybody else sees about you. Like, man, do they know that they're like this? But you don't know this about you? And so every once in a while, if you have a really great friend that you can trust, like they're, can we talk about this for a second? This is, this is a blind spot. And those are the parts of our heart. We need to address those things. Entrusted, safe community. And then there's the hidden parts of our hearts. This is the, the parts of ourselves that... We know about us, but we have not let everybody else, else in on. Those are the hidden places. All of these are really good to pay attention to, but the one I want us to really look at right now is the unknown part. Nobody knows this about you, and not even you yourself know this part of your heart. And I believe that this is the motivating factor when David pens these words. From Psalm 139. If you could go there, you can grab a Bible in front of you, grab it on your phone, whatever it is. If you spent the rest of your life sitting with this chapter, it would be a worthwhile venture. And so this is an invitation. If there are parts of my heart that I can't access, 
If there are parts of your heart that you don't let other people access, then where do we go? We go to God. Listen to this. Psalm 139, in the beginning of it, it says this. Well, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, and I cannot attain it. I encourage you to just keep reading through that psalm. Sit with that this week. I want to fast forward to the end, these last two verses. And can we just read this all together out loud? It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Now, if you're like me, you probably just read through that and had no connection to words you just said from your lips and your heart. Look at the words again. And let's pray this together out loud. Let's say this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God wants your hearts. So what is stirring and lurking in some of those dark places? If you look at your heart and you say, it's pretty dark in there, you are not alone in this room. We are all there. The heart is desperately wicked and we all need help. Our hearts need to be redeemed. And we have to go to the one that made our hearts. So can we just pause and take this in? We close our eyes, not because that makes you holy, but it helps us to not be distracted. Sit before God. Because in a moment, if you need it, you can come to the sides and we'd love to pray for you. And we want to focus in on your heart and the heart of God. If you want to take communion in a couple minutes, then feel free to stand up. There's freedom in here to do that and to remember that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die so that our hearts would be ransomed to his. So there's freedom. You, you can move around and you can do that. But in this moment... God, would you reveal to us the condition of our hearts, the brokenness, the darkness of our hearts, the things that are stirring in there, the things that we see, but we won't let anybody else see. And Lord, the things that you see that we can't even see, would you allow those things to boil up to the surface? And like the great potter, like the great refiner, that you would take those things and remove them. 
Help us not to think, God, that it's our actions and our outward righteousness and the fact that we showed up here and we brought a Bible and we're tithing and we're doing all of this stuff, that that is what you're after. You want hearts here today. And so may we not hold those back from you. That you would be the king of every heart in this room, ransomed, declared, and given fully over so that we can shine your light. We can show those out there that our hearts are changed, our hearts are different. We're not stuck, God, in legalism and legislation, but that we are a free people. 